This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back, everybody, to the MVM Show. I'm Titus, your host today. I will be joined here shortly with uh, from Thomas, my brother. And today I'm privileged and honored to have on Kirk McCullough on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on, Kirk. Appreciate the opportunity. I, I do, too. I really do. I, you know, I was telling you beforehand, I didn't know if some people are, don't like doing it or aren't comfortable with it. And I heard you on another podcast and just gave me, kind of opened the door to ask you about it and i'm i really appreciate you coming on you're welcome so there's a lot of things that i would love to ask and love to talk about and stories i'd like to hear and i guess we'll just dive right in well why don't you tell us kind of for those that don't maybe know who you are um tell us about your little bit about yourself where you grew up and and what you did and what you like to do I was born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas in 1959, and I lived there until I was probably 31, and I worked in heavy construction when I was younger, and then I worked for, uh, I worked for a, uh, another company after that, and then I was self-employed. I cut grass for a long time, and then I started when I was cutting grass, I was guiding duck hunting in the wintertime. And I started guiding duck hunting when I was about 22. Mm. And so that lasted up until I was 40. And then we were banned by the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. We weren't allowed to guide anymore. And I went to work in the oil field. And I worked in the Gulf of Mexico, North Dakota, Wyoming, Pennsylvania, Arkansas, Louisiana, New York. I just kind of worked around, and I retired from the oil field in 2018. Oh, okay. 
And that, okay, gotcha. Now, how was that job um, with duck hunting as far as working in the oil field? Did you get to use your time a lot in the duck season to hunt still? Well, I, I don't understand that question. Ask me one more time. Ty. Like, did, were you able to still duck hunt quite a bit in the fall time with oh, that job? Did it give you opportunity yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. I, I could I could pick when I wanted to work. Usually it was uh, two weeks on, two weeks off. But there were some times that I worked as long as three or four months. And when it came time for me to be off, you know, I could be off for a month or whatever. Hmm. And that uh, was, you know, it was never a, never a problem to get off. And I hunted a lot. And those two weeks off that I was off or a week off or three weeks off, I spent those duck hunting during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And I'd leave my trailer in North Dakota at the Bismarck Airport with my truck, and I'd fly from Pennsylvania to Bismarck and go duck hunting. <laughs> and I'd do that till I used up my two weeks to hunt in North Dakota. Mm. Yeah, the reason I was asking is because I, I might have to look in that line of work because <laughs> I think it, when you're a true duck hunter and that's what you live and breathe for, you kind of want that job. Like you said, you mentioned uh, cutting lawns. I mean, that's kind of a good – I know another guy that does that lives in Arkansas, and he that's why he duck hunts real heavily in the winter because the way the business is, that's just kind of how it can work out for him. So those jobs that allow you to do that sure the nice ones to have if you're a big time duck hunter that's for sure yeah it, it is i they always made sure that i had some kind of job that was going to allow me to duck hunt and uh i quit a bunch of jobs <laughs> just just to go duck hunt you know i say i need to be off so it's all you can't be off i said all right see you what do you mean <laughs> i said i I'm dragging up. <laughs> said for what? I said I'm going hunting. Hey. <laughs> you mean you're gonna quit your job to go duck hunting? I said absolutely. <laughs> oh man! So I, you either got you either got the sickness or you don't have. It. Oh man, I'm falling so, in that situation right now. Like I just I'm giving my whole list of days I need off to duck hunt, and they're probably gonna think I'm absolutely out of my mind. Yeah, and. I'm at the I'm at the point in my life now where I don't have to ask when I want to go duck hunting. I just go. That's nice. And I don't hunt as much as I used to, but I still hunt quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. I, I think I need to have my wife in here, and or I'll play this back for her so she can listen because she thinks I'm insane too. Well, you, you want to get a job? All you care about is a job that lets you duck hunt more. I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? You know. <laughs> but anyways, well, so. Let's start out kind of um, uh, when you, you said you were 22 when you started. Well, let's go back further than that. So what got you into duck? Who got you into duck hunting and what sparked that fire for you? My dad didn't hunt much. He fished a lot. And he and I went fishing all the time. I mean, we fished constantly. And uh, my uncle duck hunted. That was his older brother, Scotty. And he had a trailer over at Wright, Arkansas. And he said, he asked me, he said, you want to go duck hunting this weekend? I said, yes, sir. I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to go over by the trailer at Wright. And he said, y'all are going to come spend a night, and then we'll just get up and go duck hunting. I said, all right. I've never been. And it was my dad, Scotty, my Uncle Nick, and my cousin Mike. We got up and went hunting. Didn't see nothing. Didn't shoot nothing. And uh, I was hooked. 
you know, just that anticipation of going, that's where I started. And it just kind of evolved from there. Okay. Now, did your dad ever end up going at all, or did it, was it pretty much just going with your uncle? I went with my uncle a couple of times, and then my dad had some friends that duck hunted, and I went hunting with them. And then by the time I was probably 16 or 17, I was hunting on my own avidly. Wow. I just, you know, I picked it up that quick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people started hunting earlier earlier in their age than, you know, 16 or 17 on their own. But that's about when I started. Mm. See, when I heard you on another podcast, there was something I wanted to ask you because you're a... As far as I can tell, and you can tell me otherwise, you're a duck hunter through and through and through. Like that, I mean, you might do some other things. You might shoot a deer here and there for some meat, but like you live and breathe duck hunting. Am I wrong? No, you're right. I'm, I'm just, I've always been obsessed with it. And I think about it all day long, every day, just about. And, uh, it's just, I don't hunt private land much. It's all public ground. Mm. And I like it that way because you could still be a nomad. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can just travel from one place to the next. And there's been duck seasons that I've gotten in my truck and rode for weeks. And uh, just looking for someplace good to hunt. Might not hunt three or four, but three or four days. And drive another two or three. Get out and hunt another three or four days. But uh, I've been I've been an avid duck hunter since I was about 15 years old. Hmm. What I was wanting to ask you, and if I can put this across to where you can understand what I'm trying to ask here, is I have a lot of friends. My dad, I grew up where my dad is a big-time big-game hunter, more so elk than anything, and that's fun. And hunting in the rut with archery and bugling, all that's really cool. But he don't understand, like, what is it that you love so much about a duck? You know, like why you like hunting ducks. So like if someone asked you, what is it? Why do you like duck hunting so much? What is it about it that you rather do that than anything like shoot deer or elk or, or, you know, go to Africa and hunt? Like, not that you wouldn't do those things, but why does duck hunting trump all that so much to you? Well, I guess, you know, to me, it's the ultimate pursuit and you just you don't ever know what to expect and you you go scout and you find a lot of ducks and you expect them to be back there the next morning sometimes they are sometimes they're not and it's just i guess it's just the unexpected outcome of it and just the anticipation that you'll have a good hunt and good hunt to me is not how many ducks i kill i like to kill them i'm not you know i'm not gonna say that i don't Mm. But a good hunt is when you get there, you get set up, everything's on time, and the ducks show up. You start hearing them at the crack of daylight, and then they're in your decoys at shooting hours. You have a really good hunt, shoot everything close, and uh, that's what I like. I just, that anticipation of it, and the fact that we live in the United States, Mm -hmm. we're still free, and we can roam and hunt just about everywhere we want to. And I used to think that Canada was the only place to go other than the United States. 
until I started roaming around in the U.S. and found out that we got just as good a hunting in the United States mm-hmm. is what's in Canada. Mm-hmm. But that's, uh, it's just the, I like the colder the weather, the better I like it. I like to hunt in the snow, the sleet, the ice. And I don't like hunting in heavy wind, but I like some wind, a good mm-hmm. wind, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just that, it's just a challenge of being able to do it all and make it all come out right. I was a diehard timber hunter until I was about 43. And then when we were banned by the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, uh, uh, I started looking elsewhere and I've just, I've just roamed all over the western part of the United States and the northern part of the United States duck hunting since probably 2003. Hmm. Well, I guess I better not ask that. I was going to say kind of like, is Arkansas still your favorite from everywhere else or do you have other states that you enjoyed, you know? You know, Arkansas is not my favorite place to hunt. I hunted in Arkansas a lot because I had a guide service. My customers wanted to timber hunt, and at the time, that's how I was making my living. It was a job just like any other job, and I had to do it to get paid. And I was standing in the woods one day, and I was just like, you know, there's got to be something else out there to hunt other than standing in these same shooting holes day in, day out. And don't get me wrong, timber hunting's great, but it became monotonous to me. But I started moving around, hunting other places, and uh, I don't have any one place that I like better than mm-hmm. the other. They're all good places, and I go to the I go to the place that has the least amount of ducks on it, where there's not many people, and they're not going to be there because they don't see those droves of waterfowl, mm-hmm. and uh, it's usually me and one other person, or sometimes I'm by myself. And you just have to make uh, you just have to make every group of ducks count. Get them in close to the decoys, and shoot them, and kill your limit. And that's better than running through a lot of groups of ducks, making a mess of the hunt, and not getting them shot. So most of the places I go, there's not many people because they're just not there's not that many ducks there. Mm-hmm. And if you're hunting solo or with two guys, you don't need a ton. So that actually makes sense. I've never thought of that concept before. It's like the more birds are buzzing around, the more people are going to be filtering. And that actually, That's right. That makes a lot of sense. And my best, my best time to hunt is between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, you know, 10 in the morning to 2 o'clock. Yes, and, sir. Uh, that's, you know, you get high ducks. They just show up. You know, they just come out of nowhere. So, and usually come right to the decoy. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I do these days. Mm -hmm. Now I will jump into something because we're talking about hunting solo or hunting two guys. But before we do, um, my brother Thomas has just jumped on. So just to introduce you guys, it's my brother Thomas. He's about nine years younger than me. So my little brother. How you doing, sir? Doing fine, Thomas. How you doing? Good, good. I had to work a little bit late today, but it's good to get on here and uh, talk to you. Great. I'm glad to have the opportunity. <clears throat> me too. Me too. I I uh, walked in the door to some good conversation. I 
started smiling as soon as I heard what you're, you guys are talking about. <clears throat> you're giving away, you're giving away uh, lots of good secrets. <laughs> the, the 10 to 2 o'clock thing, I love what you said. And it, I mean, for us over here, it uh, just seems like people either want to leave, go watch a football game, or they're hungry, or they just get tired of it, and it seems like it quiets down, and then ducks get more relaxed. That's it. They they do things quiet down. Everybody goes in, and don't think that those ducks don't know the difference, and mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, your your possibilities or potential to get them into decoys just seem like it's a whole lot better in that time in that time range during the day. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So going from hunting solo now and two guys, maybe three guys. Let's go back to some of the stories I was hearing of like 34, 50 guys in a hole hunting. That's just had to be absolutely chaos. Can you tell some of those stories? Yeah, it, the 34 was when we were hunting at White River, and it was the last three days of season, and a friend of mine had gone up there to hunt, and he'd been up there for five or six days, and then we went up there, and... uh saw what was going on and we all decided to just bring everybody that one spot so we all just converged on it one morning and it's not as chaotic as you would think it was very organized all of us that were there were uh you know avid duck hunters and it was just a group of us and we brought our customers with us and by the time we got everybody in there it was around 34 people it may have been a little bit more than that and we just lined up around the shooting hole. It was just a hole of water. I mean, that's all there was. And it was in a slough. And it was kind of open all the way through it. And that water was running down that slough and coming right into this hole. In fact, you could see, you know, you could see to the other end of the slough where we were at. But it was organized. You had one guy calling, one guy calling a shot. Everybody knew what was going on. It wasn't their first time to do it. And uh, it was a pretty awesome time. Wow. Now, I wanted to, there's a, several more stories I want to hear, but I want to go back to the, the lead shot thing I was kind of talking to you before we started this podcast. So you went through the era where you were using lead shot and then seeing the changes and the transition to going to steel. What, what, oh, so I have two questions here. One, uh, sorry about that. Hold on a sec. One is... How was that? How was it using lead shot? And number two, how was that transition from going to lead to steel? Did that affect the hunters and the people and you know stuff like that? We uh, we shot lead, and I mean I don't know. There's a lot of people that never shot lead duck hunting, but it was deadly. And the difference the difference between lead and steel is you could hear the lead hit those ducks when you shot them. Even at 50 yards, you just heard it. And that was those pellets penetrating their feathers. And, you you know, you very rarely did we chase cripples. And we shot so much, we hunted so much, that I had to start loading my own shells because I couldn't afford to buy them. Mm. And so I had a mech loader. And we took low brass double-A hulls, and that's what we reloaded with. And uh, I shot a lot of nine-shot. Mm. 
and then I shot a lot of twos. Mm-hmm. And uh, the nine shot lead that was lights out on everything you pulled the trigger on. Huh. So when when then when they did away with lead and they came out with steel, it was just like jerking a rug out from under everybody. Mm-hmm. Because nobody really knew the ballistics on steel. It was still new. And now these guys are developing these loads that are compatible with these chokes they're building. Man, steel shot now or uh, tungsten or whatever it is you're shooting, it shoots a lot better than what it used to. Mm -hmm. And when it first came out, I used to shoot those duplex loads. I think it was a mix of number twos and number sixes. And I mean, we it was it was hard to kill a duck with unless you shot them really close. So and there was a lot of cripple shooting, and it you and basically you couldn't kill a cripple swimming on the water in the early years of steel shots. You just couldn't kill them. The pattern wasn't dense enough. Hmm. And so, you know, the lead days that was uh, that was some awesome shooting with that stuff. Now, let me go back to something. I, I heard you say something. I don't know if I caught that correctly. So were you, you said you were shooting nine shot with lead, but you said with twos. Did you mean, were you meaning two inch nine shot? No. Okay, no. I shot number nine shot and I shot number two shot. Okay. With lead, huh? Yeah, with lead. Wow. Now, what made and, you use uh, one versus the other? Because that's a massive difference. Yeah, I shot number nine shot because I could buy the, it was cheaper to buy it than buy number twos. And so I bought it because it was cheap. And then when I found out about it, I was shooting a modified, uh, I had a modified barrel in an H70 Wingmaster. And that's before the screw in chokes, it was just a factory barrel. Mm. And you could kill duck stone dead at 40 yards of nines in in lead shot. Mm. And then when I got a full choke gun, I bought a full choke, and then I started shooting number twos through it. It was the same thing. Hmm. And uh, I had a, I bought a DU gun, had a 30-inch rib barrel on it, and I shot number twos through that thing for probably four or five years. Hmm. And uh, that was no choking that gun either. But, you know, it really didn't matter because – I mean, two pellets of lead is 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 pretty deadly, mm. just because of the penetrating power it had. Yeah. Kirk, what size uh, shot do you prefer shooting now, and what material? Uh, I, w- I shot heavy metal number fours for quite some time. I had I bought a twenty gauge <coughs> a long time ago. And I put a Pattern Master choke in it, and I shot, uh, I shot heavy metal number fours through it, and was just annihilating ducks with it. And then I had a stroke, and then that changed my world around when it came to shooting a shotgun. And my doctor told me, he said, "Kirk, you don't ever need to shoot a gun again." I said, "What?" He said, no, he said, if I was you, I wouldn't do it. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, I said, let's just lay off a gun for a while. I said, I, I said okay. He said, we're going to give it a year, see what happens. So for a year, I didn't shoot. 
So I got, he duck hunted too, my doctor duck hunted. So he said, Kirk, I got an idea. He said, why don't you just re- reduce your uh, size, your shotgun, or reduce your loads? So what I did was, is I swapped back to uh, uh, two and three quarter, number seven to number six. And that's what I've been shooting now for quite a few years. And at 20 yards or at 30 yards, they're deadly. Mm-hmm. And I do not shoot ducks at 50 or 60 yards flying. I don't do it. Never have. And if I can't get them to decoy, you know, to me, that's, I mean, that's just a failure on my part as a duck hunter because I'm not a, I'm not a wing shooter. I'm not a pass shooter and I don't sky bust anything. Mm-hmm. So the light load coming out of a 20 gauge is perfect for what I do. It's less recoil for me, and it's less impact on my ears. Mm. And I don't wear hair protection. I probably should. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You speak really awesome. well for having a stroke. <clears throat> my grandpa, had, I said you speak really well for having a stroke. My grandpa had a stroke, and it took long time, and he actually was never able to really speak as well as he did before. Yeah, mine was induced from... Uh, overconsumption of alcohol and uh that was the last time i drank and i hadn't drank in 13 years mm, wow oh congratulations on yeah. that yeah it's uh it was a life-changing event for me mm. and i just made things better for me in the future and on up the road mm. and i'm in a lot better health now i'm in better shape and it makes a difference when you're out duck hunting mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah Yep, I can imagine. Um, did, were you going to ask something before or no? Okay, so let's go. That that was actually really interesting. I've been wanting to for so long to talk to somebody about that had actually been there and done that with lead shot because, I mean, I've heard the stories, but I've never heard it directly from someone. So, which, it, I mean, it only makes sense because the density's there. So it just shows the power of a denser metal, you know, going through your shot. So... Um, I don't know how to ask this exactly. I, I'd like to just kind of hear some of your public land challenges because I, I really respect that pretty much all you've done. I'm sure you've hunted clubs and whatever sometimes, but like you want the challenge of hunting public land. I would just like to hear maybe s- some situations or stories on challenges you've had hunting public land and also maybe advice that you can give for doing that. Okay, some of the challenges I've had have, uh, some of them have been pretty intense. And, uh, I guess one of the, one of the most memorable was, is my whole runner, uh, was in a ditch getting ready to blast off. And the, the guy beside him says, you're not going to be able to make it where you're going. And, uh, he grabbed, this other guy grabbed our boat and when Chris tried to take off and the boat, his other boat got sideways and the prop went all the way down the side of the boat and chopped, uh, big cuts all the way down the top rib of my boat, my run boat. And, uh, the guy did not make it where he was going and we made the shooting hole. We came back after hunting and Pete comes up to me. We were in the parking lot at Lower Valley. He said, Kirk, you need to go look at your truck. 
I said, oh, okay. I said, has it got a flat? He said, no, it's got four of them. <laughs> it's got what? It's got what? So, four of them. So, it, four flats. So, I looked at it, and uh, I said, huh. And Garrett said, Kirk, there's a note. There's a note in there on your dash. And it was on a, written on a piece of notebook paper. It said, being an asshole has its price. <laughs> And so what it was, it was a dis a guy that got disgruntled with us. He got disgruntled with us because he could not beat us to where we were going, and it didn't have anything to do with boat speed. He just he didn't know where he was hunting, mm-hmm. and so he was bound to determine to stop us from going. But you know, the whole runners that I've had in the past that worked for me were really good very experienced and that wasn't the first time that we dealt with something like that and uh that's that's that was one of the i guess that was one of the biggest events and then the other public land challenge was was uh the presence of the waterfowl task force on biometer <laughs> And it was uh, it was quite intense, and it was daily. And I, you know, if they were there, we were going to get checked. They were going to go through everything. And one of the remarkable things about it was, after all those years that they did that, they checked us just about every day. I had a log sheet, and we were checked thirty days in a row during a thirty-day season. So there was a split. But we would check 15 days, the first half, 15 days, the second half. And I wrote the name of the game wardens on that log sheet that checked us. And one of them had checked us three times in one day. Yeah. Or one morning. But that was the other one because they were, uh, they were very, uh, they were very aggressive. What would they say as far as the reasoning for checking you more than one time in a day? I mean, were they just making sure you weren't going over a bird? Um, no, limits or they were just it, doing it on purpose it, to be that way it was political uh. and uh this was during the this was during the uh peak of the guides on public land in arkansas on the wmas and i was involved in a lawsuit with arkansas game and fish and i never expected to win but i just wanted to stand in front of them and let them know you know you ain't gonna push me around so you're and, saying because you're running a guide service, that's why they're yes. Doing, yeah. So they yes. they were trying to get rid of you guys. Is basically what. I yeah, mean, they that they wanted. They thought. I guess they thought the the lesser of the two evils was just to discourage us from hunting, and we quit and go home. But that didn't happen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mm-hmm. How long? And, how many uh, years did you deal with that? Oh man, probably. I don't know. Maybe six, seven years. Oh, I, I can't remember when they. I can't remember when they formed the Waterfowl Task Force. My goodness! But they were. Uh, 
they were well equipped and they weren't cordial about anything. Wow. That's crazy but to that think was about. The, you know, and I, I'm going to go ahead and bring this up. Robin and I, which is a good friend of mine, we've hunted together for 40 years. And we didn't go hunting one morning. This has been about three years ago. And we drove up to the parking area to watch ducks at the reservoir. And we were just parked sitting in my truck. And uh, this game one walks up and he taps on my window. And I rolled my window down. He said, you Kirk? I said, yeah. I said, how'd you know that? He said, I ran your license plate. I said, what'd you run my license plate for? He said, I just want to see who you were. And I said, okay. And I said, well, we're not hunting. I said, we're just drinking coffee. He said, well, y'all been hunting? I said, no, we had And, uh, you know, that's just some of the, that's some of the stuff that one of the main reasons I don't, I don't like hunting in Arkansas anymore. Wow. I get tired of being interrogated. Like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, you're guilty till you're proven innocent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't. And I, and they, they wonder why people don't respect them because I know some really nice game wardens, some even federal ones, really cool guys. And then there's other ones, like you said, you're, you're, you're guilty till proven innocent. And it's like, I don't, I don't see how that, I guess they're just not taught that way from the head office. Well, to, it, it was just, a, it was a couple of them. It wasn't all of them. Mm-hmm. Most of them were pretty nice fellas mm-hmm. and they were fair, but there was a couple of them, you know, that I guess they just needed to make a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. And the Ar- Arkansas Game and Fish Commission has a new director. And I feel confident that they're making a lot of uh, changes that are better for everybody. Good. So, and one of the things that I heard last year is that they were giving out coffee and donuts. What? At the uh, yeah, they were giving out coffee and donuts at the at the boat ramps. Huh. And you know that's a that's a far cry from what it used to be because they were standing there with citation books. <laughs> you know, just about every day. That's a big mm. difference. But anyway, those are those are two two challenges that I really remember, and then just the fact of just dealing with people every day. Mm-hmm. But public land is public land. You're going to deal with people. You got a choice to either do it or go on, mm-hmm. and that's just how it is. Yep, yeah. you got to you got to adapt and make better. I liked one thing you said, um, and this is kind of rolling into a totally different conversation here, but. I don't remember who one of your friends said it to you or you said it to them about uh, either adapt or change or become a dinosaur. Yeah, that was a guy that I was working with in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, the Chevron had rolled out some new standards for us and new procedures, and everybody was complaining about it. I didn't say anything. And he turned to me and said, Kurt, he said, we can either change or be dinosaurs. I said, we're going to change. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where that conversation came from. You know, anytime there's a major change in something, you change rules, regulations, procedures, company policies, everybody's like, oh, man, now we got to do this. Well, if we stayed the same, we wouldn't get any better. And continual improvement is the name of the game, and no matter what you do, that is the determining factor is continual improvement. Mm-hmm. Do you re- do you remember when 
uh, spinners came out and the impact that that had. I've heard some crazy did, stories about that first year, first couple of years. Did, did you experience that? Yeah, I did. And when it, it when it, when they first came out, I was just hearing about it. And this friend of mine, he said, Kirk, he said, we hunted with a, one of them spinning wing decoys this morning. He said, you wouldn't believe it. I said, man, there ain't no way. He said, well, we got customers going to the field this afternoon. Why don't you go over and park on the road and watch? I said, okay. And when I went over there and parked on the road, I saw him walk out there and stick that thing up. And these ducks were just pouring out of the sky right to it. And they all shot their limit. And he drove over to me. He said, now do you believe me? I said, yeah. <laughs> well, there wasn't, there was not any water in the woods yet. It hadn't flooded. So I went to Max and I bought two of them just to have. And they were just like, you know, they were about out of them. So it started raining one day and it came a torrential rain. And I knew kind of in the back of my mind that we'd be able to get in the woods the next morning. So we went down to the boat ramp at about 3.30 and the water was coming up in the ditch. So we took took our boat and motored all the way to where we were hunting, just barely got there, threw the decoys out, left, and I left a buddy of mine in there with a light, and I said, I'll be back with everybody else. So I motored out, and we came back in, and we had a robo-duck. That's what it was called. It was a lucky duck. It was that one y'all had in California that was like cut half in two and had that kind of O-ring on that wheel. Mm. And... Uh, so we turned it on and we uh we shot 16 limits in about 20 minutes wow and we shot our limits of wood ducks and the wood ducks came in like mallards i mean there was no working no flying over the tops of trees they just came right in so did the mallards and i couldn't believe it and Garrett walked up to me, he said, can you believe that? I said, no. Huh. So all the way up till about two weeks before the end of the season, I've never heard so much shooting and biomeat in my entire life. It was nonstop gunfire. Huh. And it was nonstop from shooting hours to straight up noon. Huh. And we, sh- we shot our limit every day, no matter how many people we had, we limited out every day. And then towards the that last week is when they really kind of start getting squirrely. And I don't think they were squirrely from the robo-ducks or the spinners. They were squirrely from all the gunfire. And it just, it was just, it was unbelievable. So a question I had, um, you talk about you hunt other places now besides Arkansas and we're in California, you know, we don't have timber like back there. And I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't like to hunt timber one day. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions I have about it, but a question I had for you was, um, I know you, you know, you like cut downs and you make calls and, and all that. Do you see a difference or do you change your tactics, um, at all? in calling in timber versus like open water or maybe, you know, um, corn or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nothing like what I do in the woods. Mm -hmm. 
it's change your like style a, of calling? Yeah, it's it's really not my style of calling that I change. It's just kind of the cadence of it, mm-hmm. and not as much, mm-hmm. and that quack at, that that hen quack is pretty much that's the that's the killing cadence mm-hmm. every place I've hunted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when the ducks are way out in front of, you know, you want to get their attention and a cut down kind of travels through that wind and gets their attention when they're way off and they can hear it. Mm-hmm. And we were, I was talking to Titus about that a couple of days ago. And, uh, he was asking me about the volume of a cut down. If I thought that that was, uh, you know, one of the, key features of a cut down and I have to agree that it is because if you stick your head going out of a stick your head out of a car window going 25 or 30 miles an hour all you hear is wind mm-hmm. so I would assume that's what a duck hears mm-hmm. and for them to be able to hear you calling from a distance the call needs to be loud enough for them to hear it mm-hmm. and you can tell when they hear it if they're, they're wanting to come to you they're going to come mm-hmm. Right. So you're saying you don't have the, you don't do the same cadence in in open water versus timber. So do you um you are you kind of playing off that echo in timber and you're you're a lot more aggressive because it's harder for birds to see you? No, I was aggressive in in the woods because there were so many people hunting around us. Uh-huh. And there were so many duck calls. And basically, I guess my philosophy was I've got to get up above them. Mm-hmm. And that way the ducks hear us mm-hmm. and they come to us. And when I went to the woods, I started calling 10 minutes before shooting hours and I didn't quit till we were done. Mm-hmm. And whether it was, we shot out in an hour, we shot out in two hours, or we hunted it straight up 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that constant calling in the woods, a lot of people say, Oh, you call too much. Well, I disagree with that because the ducks I was calling to, I couldn't see them. Nobody else could. And they were on the tops of the trees somewhere away from us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I was betting on. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like if you just kept calling, kept stayed after, eventually they showed up and you'd shoot them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there was not, wasn't a lot of cut downs in the woods then. There was a few, but not many. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to ask you with the cut down. I kind of wanted to find out about the transition, what made you switch from regular duck call to cut down. And do you think the only advantage is the volume of the cut down, or do you, or do you think the sound as well? It's the volume and the sound, and the, the key factor is the user. Mm-hmm. And not everybody that uses the cut down is going to kill ducks. It's up to the guy that's using it. And there's a lot of people that have cut down duck calls and there's a lot of people that have their own technique. And to me, what the things I've seen, it didn't matter what you really sounded like. You didn't have to sound like this guy. If you were good at what you were doing and you, you know, you had the calling knowledge, you were going to kill ducks with a cut down. Mm -hmm. So, and you asked me another question before I answered that. What I'm, was that? I was just curious. Do you use a cut down in open water? Yes, I do. You do? I, I hunt with a cut down everywhere I go. I've got four duck calls that I hunt with. I have one that I hunt with mainly, 
and I carry the other three with me in case one my main duck call gets stolen. <laughs> because <laughs> all, the, all the ones I've had have been stolen from me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. You know, so I'm not worried about it. So aren't you worried about losing your duck call? I said, no, I'm worried about somebody stealing it. <laughs> That's no joke. Yeah, no. I mean... When you have success, it gets it's a doggy dog it world must, out there. It must be the call. That's the only yeah. reason, right? Yeah. Well, let Man. me ask. You, let me ask you this. The, uh, well, let's go into this real quick and tell us about your calls and when you started making your own calls and where they could find your calls. Just everything about that. Well, I don't. I don't want this to turn into uh, me trying to advertise my no, stuff. No, we want to know. I don't want to. But I started when I was in the when I was six years old, I started messing with duck calls. They didn't even duck hunt. And I'd go buy duck calls for two or three dollars. I'd blow them all. Because all the kids that I went to school with, their dads all duck hunt. These kids would come to school with a duck call. I didn't duck hunt. So when I started hunting, I, I went to this place in Pine Bluff called Jim's Trading Post, and that guy would just turn red in the face when I walked in there because he knew I was going to blow every duck call he had. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, are you going to buy anything? I said, when I find something that sounds right, I will, because they, they were all J-frames. <laughs> so I I wound up with a hand-bone duck call. A friend of mine had one. He said, Kirk, try this, and I blew it, and I liked it. So... I blew a hand bone duck call, and then when I started hunting in Biomeda, I ran into a guy named Lester Caps, and I saw what he did with his duck call, and it wasn't anything near to what we were doing. And a friend of mine cut a, cut down a halt for me and gave it to me the next morning, and I started using it, and it was instant success. So my customers, they wanted to buy a duck call from me. So I said, okay. And I was literally cutting these things down on a picnic table at my duck camp every day. And there'd be like two or three people. Then it got to where there'd be four or five trucks in my parking lot. And I'd get in. I said, hey, man, what's going on? He said, you you Kirk? I said, yeah. He said, well, we want you to cut our calls. I said, dude, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm not cutting any calls. So... Then I started cutting down a few calls, and I sold the SW Early Herders. I sold the Max, sold to some of these other catalog outlets. And then uh, I kind of stopped for a while when I went to work in the oil field. And then uh, I started messing around with duck calls again, and it just kind of took off. And that's how I got, you know, that's how I got in the duck call business, but we don't just sell duck calls. We sell a lot of other stuff. We carry reeds and cork, sell 14 mil reeds, 10 mil reeds, lanyards, shirts. We sell all that stuff. And uh, I'm 63, so my my career is probably going to start slowing down here in the next year or two. Mm. We're in, uh, is it cut, is it cut down duck calls.com, right? They can check your calls out? Y- yep. Okay. Yep. You you know, you can look, you can just type my name into YouTube. It'll take you to some of the videos I've got, and then you can get the link and take you right to my website. Yeah, I, I end up buying, and that's kind of how we fell into this, uh, having this podcast, actually, is I bought the XLM, I believe, 
And I let's see. Let me let me double check. You yeah. bought an X X Maker X Maker. I don't know why I said XLM. Yeah. Yeah, I bought the X Maker, and then I I've been looking at that because it's blood on water. That call, and I've been yep. looking at that for like the last year. I'm like, man, that's a pretty call. So, yeah. So, like I was kind of telling you, you know, I'm a little intimidated about be- blowing it, but it's been probably. I mean, not as much as I was before. Otherwise, I wouldn't have bought it. But I'm like, you know, if you want to figure something out, you'll figure it out. And that's all I'm going to do is just going to stay at it until I get it figured out. But you were telling me, hey, people get intimidated by it, but it's not as big of a deal as people make it, huh? No, it's not. You know, I guess we all started out not knowing anything duck hunting. Mm -hmm. We all started out not, not knowing how to blow a duck call. And, you know we all just had to go through the learning experience and after you do it for a while and you just keep hunting well you build that knowledge up just a little bit more you get a little bit better at calling you learn what calling ducks is and there's a difference between calling ducks and calling at them and uh so in a lot of you know my customers say man kirk i just I hear all these war store horror stories about a cut down by having to have an extra lung, which when I was young, the oak that I blew, nobody else could blow it because it was so, it took so much air, but it sounded great. And when I first started selling duck calls, I was building that style of call. It took a lot of air and not many people could blow them. So I started making them easier. And then when I finally figured out why they were so hard to blow, then I started, uh, I redesigned it and I came up with that threaded call with that centralizer on it. And that was kind of an oil field project right there. I worked with a wireline supervisor <laughs> in, uh, in, in Wyoming. He said, Kirk, this is how you ought to do it right here. Put a centralizer in it just like we use on wireline. <laughs> so that's what it did. And what it did was it would line that insert up perfectly every time. And it wasn't moving or caught to the side or sticking up. You know, it was always lined up. So that made it easier. Mm-hmm. And then I did some experimenting to make things easier. But everybody starts someplace with a duck call. And it's just going to take time. And it took me probably 10 years on a cut down before I really felt like I understood what it was all about. Wow. Now, are you talking about making it or blowing it? Blowing it, hunting. Wow, it. ten years, huh? Wow. Yeah, when I I started when I was in my mid twenties, and by the time I was probably thirty four, thirty five years old, I had discovered what that cut down duck call was made for, how it operated, and the uh, advantage it gave me over everybody that was hunting around us. Because nobody hunted with cut down; they hunted with J Frank. Wow, ten years, huh? It, is yeah, it, it took it took a while, man. And I can explain that. And most people, you know, they don't ever think about this, but your body, your facial muscles, your uh, lung capacity, your throat, all of that stuff. It's just like going to the gym and working out. But your body adapts to that duck call that you're blowing, and if you keep blowing the same duck call. You get better and better and better with it because your muscles are changing in your throat. Your facial muscles are changing. Your lungs are, you know, becoming accustomed to needing more air. 
your body height, your body height, how tall you are, your body weight. You know, all those things have uh, have an impact on what your duck calling is going to be. And most people swap, blow one call and start blowing something else halfway through the season and they come to another duck call instead of picking one call and kind of working with it and getting right. I hunted with one duck call for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Huh. And wow. I still hunt with one call. So I just got my back up to case <laughs> somebody steals them from me. You don't ever know where they're going to be. I mean, my alt was stolen off the back seat of my truck at the Clarendon boat ramp. Oh I God. walked away from my truck for five minutes, came back, and was gone. Oh, my word. That's hilarious. Hey, Some, someday they're going to put it up for sale on eBay for like $100,000 or something. <laughs> you must be yeah. hard up, man. Still somebody's duck calls. Well, it happens. There's a friend of mine just got his stolen, and he called me on the phone. The other day. He said, Kirk, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, ma'am, my oak got stolen. And I said, are you sick at your stomach? He says, man, I can't even sleep. I said, I know exactly what you're going through. And a lot of people are saying, I can't sleep. But when you lose a duck call like that and you've seen what it will do and you're accustomed to it, that's the most important tool you've got timber hunting in Arkansas is that duck call. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that ain't no joke. Man. Huh. Yeah, that that's yeah, and that bond that you have with that and the things that you've been with that call, you know. So yeah, I could see that confidence you've got confidence in it yeah now are your reads and your calls they're like cut i mean obviously people can adjust whatever they want to but like can you if i wanted to say like man the read that comes in that blood on water on that x maker and it's like this is the perfect read for me and it's it works and everything and like say i want to have three you know more just in case or whatever they're already pre-cut right no, those ones that come with that call, they're the standard length when I punch them out, and that gives the guy that buys a call the opportunity to make it as long as he wants it. Okay. You know, the, the shorter it is, the easier it is to blow. The longer it is, the harder it is to blow. And what do you suggest? Do you suggest, like, where it's at right now, coming stock is pretty much good to go? or what You know, you it, it, it comes stock. I, I tune them to where – they're not hard to blow, and that gives the user the opportunity to put a little bit longer read in it and kind of get it where he wants it to be. And most people buy them, and they don't ever touch them again. I've sold duck calls four years ago, and they sent it back to me to clean it up and retune it, and it was just like it was when it left my workbench. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the name <clears throat> Lester. Uh, I think it was Lester. Well, there's Lester and there was one more. Um, I can't remember the Lester, Lester and Robin. And Robin. So was Lester your mentor, or was he just someone that you ran into in the woods and then became friends later? He was a mentor, and uh, he uh, he just I just said, you know, I told everybody, I said, West Lester's just a wizard in the woods, and when I was younger, I'd met him hunting, and uh, I'd known about him and seen him, heard him shooting ducks everywhere, and saw all these ducks working in the sky, going to his call, and them shooting in the woods. 
And then he he came he came down North Blue Line one day, and it was in the afternoon. It was in December. And uh, he said, he said, are you Kirk? I said, yes, sir. He said, you got anybody with you? I said, just us. He said, would you mind if we hunted? I said, no, sir, y'all get out. So I went and parked his boat for him. And that's where it all started. Huh. And then he would, uh, he called me on the phone. He said, Kirk, are y'all going to hunt in the morning? I said, yes, sir. He said, how many people you got? I said, about four. He said, well, I got three guys. Can we go go together? I said, yeah, we'll, we'll, have, we'll get there and get the decoys set out. Y'all just come on. And that's how I started hunting with him. And I, I would stand beside him and watch what he, watch what he did. And I would count his cadence and his cadence was five and seven. And I would watch everything that he did. And that's how I learned. And then when we were hunting some days and I'd call some, he'd tell me what to do. How much older was he than you? Oh man, he was probably... He was 15 years older than me. Wow. That's priceless uh, yeah, to have I, someone like that. Yeah, he's, he was at least 15 years older than I was. Because when I was, I was in my 20s, and I would say he was probably, you know, mid, late 30s, maybe 40 years old. I've got a picture of him, and I think he was 41, 42 in that picture. So you guys spent a ton of time out in the woods together. Then after that, I'm sure from then on, huh? Well, you know, we didn't spend a ton of time together. We hunted hunted together quite a bit, and uh, and then kind of he kind of stopped hunting for a while. You know, as he got a little bit older, and then he started back up hunting just a little bit again, and then he passed away one year the first day of duck season. Oh. Wow. Now, I, we're getting close to an hour, so I want to let you go. I know you're parked right now. Um, what's kind of one of your one or two, if you have time for it, too, but if not, one's fine. What's, like, your top two duck hunts you can never remember? The top two? Yes, sir. Well, I, I would say that first one that I went on with my uncle and my dad, my uncles and my dad and my cousin because that was my first one. And then the, uh, the second one would be the, uh, the year we were at North Arkansas and we all hunted together. That was, uh, that was some kind of, so that was one of, that was the funnest hunting I've ever done in my life. And it was, we were in North Arkansas and Robin had gone up there scouting. He called me on the phone. He said, Kirk, where are you at? I said, by me. He said, Bo, come on. He said, the ducks is in the road by the fowls. <laughs> <laughs> so we went up there and we hunted, and it was a lot of people. And we were, we were all staying at a motel there in, uh, in, uh, in North Arkansas. And the area game warden, he pulled up in his truck and rolled his window down. He said, are you Kirk? I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions now. I said, all right. He said, do I need to come down there and check y'all? I said, no, sir. We're going to be legal. We're going to kill our limit. And uh, we're going to get all our ducks clean and taken care of. He said, okay. He said, fair enough. Y'all kill them. And then about, about a week later, he pulled up in the parking lot. We were all out there doing something with our boats. He said, did y'all have a good hunt today? I said, yes, sir. 
And I said, do you need to come check anything? He says, no, I ain't got time to fill out the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, it that was a good, that was a good, uh, that was a good time up there. We all had a blast. We were there for most of the season. And it was just some of us had hunted together for a long time. We had all of our customers up there. And, uh, man, it was just, it, it was the whole deal. There was a guy that was picking ducks. And he had a little picking shack, and you'd go in there, and there was feathers flying everywhere. And Chris was always going in there in the evening time talking to him. And they'd both come out, and there'd be duck feathers all in their beard and everything. So, <laughs> But that, that was it. We shot a lot of ducks up there. Well, that's a lot of good times. Um, I wanted to everybody tell everybody, like you said, check out his uh, YouTube channel if you want to watch some hunts and some tips and the sounds of his calls. Kirk McCullough on YouTube, and then you can check him out on Instagram. Are you on anything else too, Facebook or any other? Yeah, I just got back on Facebook, okay. and uh, I'm on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok very heavy, but my main uh, – my main social media platform is Instagram. Okay. Anywhere else too they can check you? That's pretty, that pretty much probably covers it all, huh? Plus your website. Yep. Yep. Plus my website. Okay. Well, Kirk, uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and and I'd love to have you on again sometime and and get more. But I don't want to take all of your time up and let make you keep sitting in your truck. <laughs> let you get back to your work. Uh, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad to be able to uh, talk about duck hunting with you guys. Uh, thank you so yeah, much it's been again. It's been pleasure. Yep, it's been our pleasure. All right, everybody. Okay. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. <laughs>